to uh, add my thanks to Miss Faith. Thank you for sharing your talents. I uh, want to thank the Rainbow Ringers. Uh, they won't let me join that group because I can't do two things with my hands at the same time. But I love the faith uh, and the honesty there. And I also look forward, we look forward to meeting all of you. I know some of the Sunday school classes are meeting. We've already had some of those meetings, and we will have more small groups. And I certainly encourage you to come. Uh, if you have hard, difficult theological questions, I ask you to come and ask them. And Laurie will be more than happy to answer them while we're, while we're here. No, I do. We encourage you, and we, we certainly want to meet you. These last two weeks have been uh, difficult weeks. They have certainly uh, wrung out my heart because I am reminded again and again that for as much as things change, they stay exactly the same. Whether it's 20 days or 200 years or 2,000 years or 10,000 years. And the events not only in this country but around the world, the most recent of which is Barcelona, make me question my faith at times. Where is God? Is he still in control? Can I still trust him? And I am reminded again and again that the God of old is still the God of new and the God of tomorrow. That he is still there. That all things will work in accordance with his divine plan. As bad as things seem to get sometimes. I'm reminded, of course, that tomorrow is our eclipse, and we will all run to different places. I think here we're at 95.5%. But I would remind you, even if you go someplace where there is a totality of darkness, it is transient in nature. It won't last long. I think the most is 2 minutes and 38 seconds. And I look at that and say, yes, God is still in control. The light of God still shines through, even when this darkness of this world has a tendency to overcome us. Amen. Amen. And that brings me to our sermon today and to our scripture passage. It is a wonderful story out of Matthew about a meeting between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. Mark says she's Syrophoenician, and Matthew says she's Canaanite. And I wonder if you would join me in the Gospel of Matthew, the tax collector's Gospel, the 15th chapter. And we'll just read the 21st, start with the 21st verse, talking about the faith of this Gentile woman and what we can learn from them. Would you stand with me as we read from the Gospel of Matthew? For the tax collector writes these words, he says, then Jesus left Galilee and went north through the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. 
She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please be seated and please bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, we ask that you teach us that indeed we have open eyes and open ears and open hearts for that which you want to tell us, for that which needs to be written on each of our lives. Let us be blank sheets of paper, Father. Let us listen for your still, small voice in our lives. Teach us and challenge us, Father, that our faith might be like the faith of this woman, that our faith in you continues to grow, that even in the midst of darkness there is light, your light. Help us always to rest in that and to trust in that. Help us, Father, in our moments of crisis, that our faith in you is yet strong. I ask, Father, that I might disappear in the shadow of the cross and that these words are your words for all of God's people. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask these things. Amen. The story is told about a woman in a farming community who took it upon herself one day to go to a meeting of the farmers. The the men always met in the morning at breakfast for coffee, and they would talk about farming stuff. And she farmed, and she felt she should go too. And immediately when she arrived, of course, they really didn't want her there. So they talked around her and about her and over and didn't really recognize her. And finally she'd had enough, and she got up and said her word, to which most of them were shocked. And one man, we'll call him Fred, he got up, and said, you know, this woman doesn't even belong here. She doesn't know anything about farming. And he turned to the woman and said, how many toes does a pig have? And quick as a flash, the woman replied, take off your boots, Fred, and count them yourself. (laughs) No shrinking violet. A strong-willed woman. And now we have a story here in Matthew about another strong-willed woman who had come to Jesus Christ in faith, even though faith, as we know it, was foreign to her. She wasn't Jewish, she was Canaanite. Today, she probably would be referred to as Palestinian. And she would be no better off today than she was 2,000 years ago because of the conflict. The country is a hostile one. The Jews and the Palestinians don't get along. The Arabs and the Jews don't get along. The blacks and the whites don't get along. It's the same today as it was 10,000 years ago. We know that presumably she's married. She has a child who is very sick. She says demon-possessed. We don't know whether she was a good woman or a bad woman. We don't even know her name. But what we do know is so extremely important to us because in this single encounter with Jesus Christ, he speaks to her and he uses a four-word phrase that defines who and what she is. For at the end of this passage, he says, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Four words, and they make her biblically 
immortal. We can trust those words because they came from an expert, Jesus Christ, who was always in search of those with great faith. Even amongst his disciples, he looked for great faith. You realize that he never said that to James or John or Peter, your faith is great. Matter of fact, what did he say a lot of the times? Oh, ye of little faith. And in fact, if you go through the Bible, there is only one other time when Jesus uses this phrase or a phrase like it to praise a person in their faith. And interestingly enough, it is another Gentile, the Roman centurion in Capernaum, who was asking Jesus to come and to heal his servant. We regard this Canaanite woman with more than simply an academic interest, though, because it awakens a feeling of admiration and perhaps even envy in each and every one of us. Because she stands where every last one of us would like to stand, if we're honest, before Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we stood before Jesus and he reached out and put his hand on our shoulder and said, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Isn't that what we want? And if that's what we want, what is it that we can learn from this Canaanite woman and this short story in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, first of all, I want you to remember that this woman had a great deal of courage, a great deal of courage, because she crossed a lot of barriers. It's remarkable to think that this woman was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. And Canaanites were traditional enemies of the Jewish people. They were despised for centuries, just like we have the same problems today that go back centuries and centuries and centuries simply because of ethnicity, ethnic, nationality. <clears throat> we wonder to some extent what Jesus was doing in a foreign land. What in the world was he doing outside of Jerusalem or outside of Capernaum? And some people say that he realized he was coming to the end of his ministry and he wanted to go someplace where he could be more isolated from his Jewish brethren and take his disciples and teach them how important it was that the days were waning and he wouldn't be with them long. And if he went to some place like the region of the Canaanites, probably assuredly there would be no Canaanite who would seek out a Jewish rabbi asking for help. And lo and behold, don't we serve a wonderful God because here comes this woman this Canaanite woman, searching for Jesus. She didn't know him, but she knew about him. He was seeking privacy, and yet he finds this woman. And this woman most assuredly is aware of the great chasm, the great gulf that exists between Canaanites and Jews. And yet she possessed the courage to cross those boundaries and go where she wasn't welcomed, to go where they had insults for her, to go where she wasn't the right person. And she stood up and went to Jesus because she needed his help. Do we have that courage? Do we have that courage in our country, in our world, to stand up for what we believe in, to cross the boundaries every day that we face? Do we have that kind of courage of faith to not simply seek Jesus out, but to be a follower of Christ? You know, faith consists so much of boundaries that need to be crossed. Sometimes we talk simply about the boundary of time. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here. That's a wide gulf to span. And we think to ourselves, you know, it's a different ball game today 
This is not 2,000 years ago. What can Jesus do for us? Sometimes it's the boundary of culture. We live in a generation where we travel three times the speed of sound, and yet we're looking for some Jew who rides a donkey to have the answers in our lives. It's a boundary of culture. Sometimes it's just a boundary of pride. Are we willing to get beyond ourselves and admit that we most desperately need Jesus Christ? Are we able to cross that barrier and stop saying, I got it, I got it in control, I can do it all by myself, and start admitting that Jesus Christ is really the answer? You know, if there's anything that's bothered me over these last two weeks, as I already mentioned it to you, that as much as things change, they stay the same. It convinces me more and more and more that Jesus Christ is the answer because we certainly aren't. We can't come up with the answer. We haven't done it in 20 years, 2,000 years, 20,000 years. And I know, I know, it's pie in the sky. People don't even want to hear about Jesus Christ. And I like to say, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? We're out there, they're taking down Confederate statues, statues, which is fine. I guess, but if you think that's going to solve the problem, you're wrong. The only way to solve that problem is Jesus Christ, and I will stand on that day in and day out. The love that Christ has for us and the love we need to share for others. That's the answer. And as difficult as that answer may be, it's always been right there in front of us. I didn't say it was easy. I've never said it was easy. But that truly is the answer. That's what the Canaanite woman had. That's the courage that she possessed. And she first addressed him as sir. Did you see that? Sir. And then she figures out she's going to use another phrase that she's heard other people say, son of David. She doesn't know who the son of David is. But she has the courage to cross that barrier and ask this man for the help that she so desperately needs in her daughter. Have pity on me. She didn't know any of the Jewish scriptures. She had never read the Torah. Probably didn't know the laws and the dogmas of the Jewish faith. What simply existed was her courage of faith to seek this man that she had heard about, Jesus Christ. Do we have the courage to cross those boundaries? And I'm not talking about just us, for us alone. Do we have the courage to cross those boundaries for other people who desperately need to know the love and the mercy and the grace that is Jesus Christ? Do we possess that courage? Because courage is not for us alone. Courage is for others who are less fortunate than we are, who are in worse circumstances than we are, to try somehow to share with them the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Second of all, this woman had perseverance. Boy, I tell you, this woman had stick-to-itiveness. She was not going to be dissuaded. And the first thing that happens is that Jesus is silent. He doesn't even say anything to her. You know, it would have been nice if he'd said no. At least you know he's listening. But he doesn't say anything. And I think one of the hardest things we have in our lives is when God is silent when we don't hear his voice or we don't hear what we expect to hear or he doesn't answer us exactly the way we wanted him to answer us. And there is silence. Job experienced that. He took everything away from Job. Job kept shaking his fist in heaven and God was continually silent. 
But what this Canaanite woman knew, and what we should know, is that God still cares. Even when he is silent, he still cares. And we need the perseverance, the stick-to-itiveness to see it through. It would have been nice to have a no, but she didn't get anything. But that didn't intimidate her. And then the disciples joined in it like the disciples would. They said, get get out of here. Stop it. You're begging too much. We don't have time for you. Remember what they did when he fed the 5,000? Tell them to go home. Get something to eat on their own. We don't have enough here. Wasn't that a time when Jesus mentioned this about you of little faith? You know, the disciples are very much like the church. Don't we grow tired sometimes of kind of giving, giving of ourselves, giving of stuff, giving money, giving food? I, go, go find a job. Go to the supermarket. Do, do so, stop looking at me. And yet, this woman persevered because she knew Jesus had the solution for her problem. And then what does Jesus do when he breaks the silence? The third point to her. He says, I have been sent to the house of Israel and to them alone. Isn't that amazing? Does that sound like something Jesus would say? Was he testing her? You know what he's saying? He's saying, you're not righteous. Or you're not the right kind of woman. Do we ever do that? Do we ever do that to people? Do we ever make those judgments? Whoa. Do we ever make those judgments? Ah, you're not really the right kind. You don't look like me, sound like me, or smell like me. So I'm not really sure you can be a Christian. I've come for Israel alone. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And to some degree, he sounds like the Pharisees right now when he says, Oh, I've just come for Israel. You're the wrong type. You're the wrong woman. I don't have time for you. He has come to establish a new faith, a faith of God, based on the foundations of the Jewish religion. He's about that. And yet here, all of a sudden, is this a catalyst? Is this an aha moment when Jesus realizes or he understands fully what it says in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, if the story ended right here, all of you guys would be gone today. You wouldn't be here. Would have never gotten to the Gentiles. Paul would have never gotten to the Gentiles. If the focus had always solely and completely been on Israel, we would not be here. Now I'm making a little bit of a judgment there. We'd probably be here. But this is a point, this is a turning moment when Jesus, perhaps in his full divinity, understands that God didn't mean it just for the chosen people. He means it for everybody, and that includes those dirty Gentiles. Do we have that kind of perseverance to overcome those kind of obstacles in our lives? Do we have the perseverance to continue even when we don't get the right answer? And I'm not just talking about you yourself. I bet every last one of you have people in your families, your neighborhood, that struggle with this thing called faith, that struggle with this thing called Jesus Christ. Do you continue to persevere through? Do you continue to pray for them? 
Do you continue to love them? Do you continue to nurture a relationship with them? Do you persevere? You know, I've shared with you before, I'll share with you again. My son and my daughter-in-law, they don't go to church. It breaks my heart because I know how my son was raised. I can't make him. I'm dad, you know? I'm dad. But you know what breaks my heart even further are my grandchildren. Because unless I do or say something, they're never going to know Jesus Christ. And I swear to you, I am not going to let that happen as long as I have breath. But it breaks my heart. Do I have the courage to cross the boundaries? Do I have the perseverance to continue through? Even though people are going to laugh at me, even though people are going to call me names. I believe in this so much. And the events in the world over the last two weeks just augment that belief that I have. We all know people who desperately need our perseverance of prayer and love and mercy, that somewhere along the lines their hearts might be softened, and somewhere along the lines they might know Jesus Christ. And my children are one of those. And then Jesus says, you know, it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Boy, that sounds like a real insult. It's been pointed out that the actual word that Jesus has used is for little household pets. I have a household dog. His name is Jack. He's not very nice. Jesus wasn't talking about Jack. He wasn't talking about those wild beasts out there in the neighborhood. But anytime you call somebody a dog, that's not exactly affirming. That's not something we want to be called. Even if I call you a Yorkshire Terrier. Well, you might like that, but I have Yorkshire Terrier. I don't know. The Jews kept calling the Canaanites dogs. That's what they thought about them. And here's Jesus saying it's not right. You know, for most of us, we would have turned right there. We would have broken down in tears and walked away and said, I've had enough of this guy. I know the things people have told me, but I don't need to hear any more insults like that. But this woman had the courage, and she persevered. She wasn't about to be told no. Now she has the humility, the humility. She realizes she has no right to stand before Jesus, just like none of us do. None of us have done anything. None of us deserve the gift. None of us can pay the price that Jesus has paid. But in humility, she turns to Christ and says, True, sir, I admit that I am a dog. I realize that I have no claim on you. No claim whatsoever. But her faith is strong enough that she perseveres. And then she says, Sir, even the dogs eat the scraps from under the master's table. And she in effect is saying, I don't have any claim on you, but Jesus, isn't there a little extra grace? Isn't there a crumb of mercy or love that might fall from your table for me? And of course, Jesus breaks out. He loves this. This is true faith, courageous faith, persevering faith, humble faith. And he tells the woman, great, great is your faith. So let it be done. Woman, what great faith you have. Be it as you wish. From that moment, her daughter was restored to faith. 
Folks, I want to tell you that we are all like this Canaanite woman, whether we want to admit so or not. Each of us come to Christ in a different way, down a different road. And the importance is not who or how, it's the fact that we come to Christ. We come to Christ in faith. Because faith is the road that leads us to Him. Faith is the wasteland that we cross. It's the chasm that we cross. It's the bridge that brings us back to Him. And for this Canaanite, it was her faith in Jesus that she believed in Him even though she didn't know Him. She was courageous enough to cross the boundaries. She had a lot of stick to so she wouldn't be told no. And she was humble enough to realize that she really had no reason to stand before him. But she was asking for simply a crumb. Great is your faith. As I close with you today, I ask you the same question. How great is your faith? How great is your faith? The Canaanite woman was a woman of great courage to overcome the boundaries, great perseverance to overcome the challenges, and great humility to overcome the insults. Can that be said of us? Are we men and women of great courage, of steely perseverance, of quiet humility? Do we have what it takes to really follow Jesus Christ, to stand up for what we believe in, not simply for ourselves, but for others, for others who are less fortunate than we are. I've shared with you before how important Emmaus is in my life. There is a time during Emmaus when we are presented with a cross, and as we are presented with that cross, the words are used, Christ is counting on you, and you are to respond I am counting on Christ. My brothers and my sisters, this day I am here to tell you that Christ is counting on you. He is counting on you to have the faith that courageously overcomes the obstacles of this world and this society. He is counting on you to have the perseverance to never, never give up. And he is counting on you to have the humility that you know that even though you do not deserve it, you can stand before him. And hopefully out of love, he will put his hand on your shoulder and say, such a great faith you have. You have a great faith. As you leave today, I challenge you to take a look at your faith. I challenge you to look at your faith and as it applies not only in this country, but to this world. Where is your courage? Where is your perseverance? Where is your humility? And are you ready to step up and be counted on by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me, please?